happy day. Oh, happy day. I hope you're having a happy day. Because I know we are. Let us know that you are out there. Press like, leave us a comment, or send us a prayer request. Did you know Echo could be your place, your people, and your purpose? All in one space. It is beautiful. It sure is. You betcha. We didn't encourage you to take your first steps into a life-giving local church and find the community and the support you've been hoping for. Stop by at Mayo High School for one of our services at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to meet you. Make your tradition with us. December 24th, Christmas Eve! Services are actually so special yeah. with us. If you haven't already, make this a yearly thing to join us with your friends, family, neighbor, barista, mailman, UPS, or FedEx guy. You'll have three services to pick from. 1.30, 3, and 4.30. Join us! Last week, Pastor Annie, my dad, spoke on taking calculated risks. Simply asking us, what would you be willing to risk financially for God to continue to do His work through Echo in Rochester and the surrounding area? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For God loves a cheerful giver. Any cheerful givers out there? Me. If you would like to give, head to our website or Venmo us at We Are The Echo Church. Enjoy Echo Online Service.
you are worthy of our praise. God, this morning with our song, God, we give you thanksgiving. God, we glorify you with thanksgiving. God, and in this season of all that's happening around us, God, God, we simply draw back to your presence, back to the heart of who you are. God, and we just live out gratitude. God, we live out things living. God, we are thankful for your presence, and we honor you today. And in Jesus' name we say, church, amen. called Jesus and George. Why does he have to talk about money so much? It's not very hard for me to open up scripture and just simply find Jesus using money as an illustration or using money as, um, a, 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 as a tool to get his point across or just talking about possessions and what we have or what we don't have. And, and so, uh, you know, if you're a guest with us today, we're glad you're here. Uh, and you just happened to, to visit us on the day that we're talking about the subject, uh, money, and we're just glad you're here. And, uh, and I hope you can hear our heart. And the heart is, is this, is that God loves us and he gives us so much. And uh, the question is, is what, what has God called us to do in return? Um, so we've listened and we've leaned into what Jesus says about money, but I've yet to talk about what George has to say about money. So I thought I'd do that today. Uh, George Washington is quoted in saying, this few men have virtue, virtue to withstand the highest bidder. Few men have virtue to withstand the highest bidder. Everything comes at a price. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like if someone came to me and wanted to buy my Airstream, like, like yes, it's for sale. The question is, what is the sale price? You know what I'm saying? If you want these shoes, what is your price? I just might sell those today. They're a little tight. I've got wide feet for those that don't know. I've got really wide feet. They're a little tight. My feet are a little cramped, cramped today. But anyway, we're, we're, I'm pushing through everything today just to bring the word. <laughs> if you haven't picked up your guest, I'm sarcastic. In the blockbuster uh, movie, Knives Out, anybody watched that? Anybody seen that? Anybody, anybody want to be honest enough? You've seen it? It was a cool movie. Uh, <clears throat> Harlan Thornby, a wealthy mystery novelist, on his 85th birthday, passes away. And then they bring in uh, the lawyer, and uh, the family just happens to be there, and they bring everybody into the, his, his home and his estate, and he starts going through the will and trust and it goes something like this. All of my, he says something like this, all my assets, in li uh, assets, liquid or otherwise, I leave to Marta Cabrera. Do you know, anybody know who Marta Cabrera is? She is not a family member, okay? She's like the assistant. And so that caught everybody's attention, all the family members' attention. And you could see and feel this tension arise in that scenario. And then the lawyer continues on. He says, my entire ownership to the Blood Like Wine Publishing, I leave entirely to Marta Cabrera. And the room starts boiling. You can see people's eyes and you can feel and sense their disappointment. And then, and then... He says this, likewise, this house and its entire, entire belongings I leave to Marta Cabrera. And this is the moment where someone in the family 
speaks up and he says, no, no, this could not be right. And it cracked the egg and, and the room just exploded and Marta, just an innocent bystander in that room, is in essence pressured out of her brand new home and estate and she's attacked and accused and yelled at and screamed and, and name called and she gets into her car and like all good dramas, she gets in her car and her car doesn't start. It's like living in Minnesota in the winter, you know what I'm saying? just happens from time to time. And, and, and she's trying to, to, to escape the situation and flee and, and all the relatives around her screaming and yelling and this little glass house called her car. And then all of a sudden, this grandson named Ransom pulls up, waves to her, say, get into my car. And as they're driving away, he screams, I think this is the best thing that could happen to all of you. I share this story because I want us to feel the tension of what happens to Jesus in the chapter Luke 12. And we're going to lean into verse 13, but there is a tension that if you just read the scripture as is, you might just miss it. Like it was just a one sentence kind of thing. But, but you have to understand about the, the, the scriptures and, and what was recording in the, recorded in those days is they recorded the bare minimum because of the expense of what was being, what was being written on. You, all, you know what I'm saying? So you can imagine this story is, is much more than just one line. This is a real life story and there's some real life tension and struggle within this man who has the audacity to interrupt Jesus and his teaching to bring his issue to the table. And so what we read in Luke chapter 12, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide my, or divide the inheritance with me. Do you feel the tension? I mean, this guy was so interested in his issues, he didn't really care what Jesus was even talking about. He interrupted him in the moment. And then Jesus replied and he says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said, by the way, he says this to us. He says it to the crowd then, and he says it to us. He says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, of your possessions. Is anybody glad to be here at Echo Church today? <laughs> I mean, I feel like, like, like this type of chapter is, is created to reveal to us the, the pressure and the tension that comes with our possessions and our wealth and our finances. In April 2016, Minnesota's own prince left behind a $156 million estate with no will. How many wish you were his relative? And, and, and in an article, it talks about how 29 other people were amongst Prince's alleged heirs. 
And I thought it'd just be fun to kind of read a few of those who, who came out of the woodwork already. He had uh, five half-siblings, alleged half-siblings came out, wanting a piece of the pie, you know what I'm saying? Uh, one half-niece, one half-grandniece, three long-lost half-sisters, one long-lost half-brother, eight distant cousins. Can I hear an amen, distant cousins? I'm, man, I'm coming after it. Um, one illegitimate son, alleged one adopted son, one but unspecified relative. I know you're in the room. <laughs> one uh, Minnesota resident who suggests that the absence of a will means he could be an heir. <laughs> I like how he thinks. How about this four non-relatives alleging Prince owed them between $46,000 and $750 million in business expenses? And how about this one non-relative alleging that according to people, he had a verbal agreement with Prince that gave him the complete ownership of the artist's musical catalog and vast vault of unreleased recordings, maintaining that he was owed $1 billion. <laughs> Do you feel the tension yet? I mean, if money is on the table, we want it. Can we all just agree we want more? We just want more. We have some, but we just want more in life. And this is what Jesus is trying to address. And I guess I, I, I present all these stories and, and these quotes to just throw this out today. There is an unseen enemy that shreds a person from the inside out and he has a name and his name is greed and I must ask you are you glad that you came to Echo Church here today there is an inward working within our heart that is pressing against everything God wants from you. And his name is greed. And if you don't know greed, you might know him by his nickname. It's me. Any young parents out there? Understanding that your children or your child your grandchildren, the first words that they learn are probably no or me. There's a nickname and a direction we're all being pulled in. So I want to talk to you about greed today. I just want to define it. it uh, greed defined in the dictionary is it's a selfish and excessive desire for more. A friend of mine defines it as a familiar sense of discontentment, a gap between where you are today and where you want to be. Luke Norsworthy in his book, Befriending Your Monster, describes greed as a, with one simple word, and that's the word more. And as many of you know, what P. Diddy said is all about the Benjamins. That is what greed is. That's what greed is defined. Am I relevant or what? I mean, I, come on. Come on, second service. <laughs> oh, my kids are so embarrassed. What does greed do for you? 
that's the second thing I want to def- I want to talk about. And I define greed just in a very basic way. But what does greed do for you? And, and and I believe in chapter Luke or this chapter of Luke, Jesus teaches us a few things about greed. And the very first thing he teaches us is that greed creates worry. That greed creates worry. And what worry does and anxiety does in our life, it pulls that which is whole apart. You you, you know what I'm saying? Greed creates worry, and worry, what does it do? It creates or pulls what is whole apart so it no longer can be one, one in mind. I believe worry is a mask for a greedy heart. And this is where we pause and and, and, and I make it very clear to you that, that when I talk about greed today, yes, I am talking about your possessions. I'm talking about your finances. I'm talking about your retirement. Yes, I'm talking about your bank account. But this is a moment to just bring clarity and say that greed comes in many forms, in many shapes, and many sizes. And if you have worry in your heart today, if you have anxiety, I must suggest to you today that maybe it is not a worry issue, it is a greed issue at the core of your being. Because greed creates worry. So I must ask you, what are you worried about? And if you're worried about something particular, maybe it could point towards what aspect of greed in your life needs to be submitted to Jesus. Let's talk about worry and let's see what Jesus says about it. Uh, In verse 22, it says, And Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, or, or about your body, or what you might wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And then he talks about the ravens. He, he decides to talk about word, uh, birds and scavengers of, of, anything. He, of anything. He brings it up. And he says, hey, look at the scavenger, or look at the, the ravens. They, they, their life is just fine. God takes care of them. And then he goes, oh, what about the wildflowers? Look at the wildflowers. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they have a life and, and God, God does everything to take care of their needs. And then in verse 29, he says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Which by the way, if Jesus is repeating something, you better listen to it. You better lean in and begin to listen. And he says this, he says, uh, do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. The, your father knows that you need them. And then he takes the corner and this is what he says to us, but seek first his kingdom and all of these things will be given to you as well. Greed greed creates worry and worry redirects your trust. And if your trust is not in the right space, then it will affect your toiling. It will affect what you put your effort in or what you might not put your effort in. It will affect your work-life balance. Greed creates worry and worry directs your trust to your own toil. 
agreed, if he creates worry, worry uh, encourages a few things. So what does worry in, encourage? It, it encourages three things. Write these three things down, and I'll revisit them here in a second. Worry will encourage you to v- divide. Worry will encourage you to keep. And worry will encourage you to take. Where does this come from? It doesn't come from me. It comes from the scripture, this, this particular chapter. Worry divides, and we see it illustrated when the man divide, or interrupts Jesus. In fact, divides Jesus' time, okay? And he, and he interrupts Jesus and said, I don't really care what you're going to say, but I want you to care about what I have to say. And what, he, what does he do? He interrupts with no care in the world for what Jesus wanted. He says, give me my inheritance, See, greed and worry, it begins to divide by, by, by terms like this is not fair or I don't have enough or give me more. Worry will interrupt your life. Does anybody understand? Anxiety in, interrupts your life. See, what it does, it begins to motivate us. Worry will motivate us to divide instead of bringing together. Worry has this ability to see differences in our friends or our families more than for us to see our similarities. And some of us experienced that over this weekend as we were gathered with families celebrating. And how many families have been divided simply because of worry or anxiety or greed. I called my mom and dad because uh, my grandparents are no longer here. And I got permission to share this. And I, and I, I said, Dad, um, tell me a little bit about when mom di- or grandma died. So what happened? How was the will and testament? How was that process? And, and at that time, uh, my, I had an aunt and an uncle, and my dad were the... the the living siblings, and, uh, and they went through the will and testament. And, and I asked, Dad, how did it go? He said, well, it went okay. It went okay. I said, Dad, was there tension in the midst of that? And he said, absolutely. Grandma didn't leave much behind, but even with just a little, there was tension. Does anybody relate to that today? And then I asked my mom, I said, Mom, when Grandma died, your mom died, I said, I said how was that process? And she goes, well, she didn't have any money. She didn't leave anything behind. In fact, we had to pay for her funeral or her burial. And I said, Mom, was there tension? She said, no, there wasn't tension because she didn't have anything. So we could just simply grieve. Isn't it funny how money and possessions and wealth can start dividing even our own family and the people we care and love for the most. The second thing that worry does is it keeps. And it's illustrated in verse 16. Jesus tells this parable and he says, the ground, everybody say the ground. The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. Okay, notice what, what um, yielded the abundant harvest. The ground yield, yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, okay, this rich man, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. 
Okay? Okay? It, what is it? it uh, greed will encourage you to become anxious. It will create worry in your life. And what that ends up encouraging you to do is you will want to keep. And, and, and when it comes to keeping, there, there is what I call the if-then concept. It, it, we easily buy into this idea that we don't have enough, so we have to keep more and more. And, and I think the most critical word within this portion of Scripture is what happens after the surplus grain. And it says, then, if I fill my barns, then I will say to myself, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years, and I will take life easy. I will eat and drink and be merry. He, un, he, he had believed the lie that if he had the surplus, then he could live a certain way. But then God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Greed keeps for itself. Greed will always have an if-then clause that keeps changing. Greed keeps a very strong pace, and it's a pace that you cannot and I cannot keep up with. And many of us buy into the lie that if I store up and I save and I eventually get to a place of surplus, then I will be happy. Greed keeps. The last thing greed does is greed takes. In verse 30, 32, it says, do not be afraid, little flock. For your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out and a treasure in heaven that will not fail where no thief comes near and no moth can take it away. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Can I tell you something today is you don't have to take something that God wants to give you. So many of us feel the need to go and just go earn it. And, 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 and we have this sense of deserving it. And, 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 and we feel like we need to go take what the world has to offer. But I can just simply, I want to simply tell you this. The Father already knows what you need and he desires to give it to you. You don't need to take what God wants to give you. So the question is, is are you satisfied with what God is giving you? Or are you always looking for more? See, in this world, our possessions eventually will be taken. Our possessions will eventually be ruined or consumed or our possessions will be wasted. And what I desire for us individually and yet collectively is this, is that we have a healthy perspective when it comes to our possessions. A healthy perspective on what we have and what we don't have and who gives it and who takes it away. So I came up with this greed test. 
I want to have a little bit of a self-evaluation on such a festive uh, Sunday, that, and you're so glad that you're here <laughs> as I'm talking about greed. And, and, but I do feel like God is trying to challenge us with, uh, with, with our own greed, our own worry. And, and so if, if you relate to any one of these four, then, then maybe you need to redefine your possessions, redefine your, your, your money or, or your, your goals, whatever it might be when it comes to your finances. But here, here it is. I believe there are four toxic money mindsets. First one being is I don't have enough. <laughs> More, right? It is so hard to be satisfied with what we have. We're always wanting more and we're always wanting it now. This is a perfect weekend that is an example of that. Marketing 101. I mean, they kill it on this weekend and they kill us and they kill our bank accounts. It's, it's like they know that if they can convince you that this is a killer deal, then you need it now. Can I hear an amen for all you Black Friday shoppers or your Cyber Monday mystery people out there? And marketing, marketing knows that. They, they know they can convince people and companies can convince that, 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 yes, we want more and we want it now. And what we don't understand or we, we fail to remember is this, is sometimes getting it now means we pay for it more later. And so I must ask you, if you relate to I don't have enough, when's the last time you simply asked this question and answered it? When is enough enough? To what end? When's the last time you created a goal to what enough is? When was the last time you defined what enough is? How about this second, uh, the second one uh, for a toxic money mindset is spending all you earn or saving all you earn. How many of you know that there's a balance between both. They both actually illustrate a form of greed. If you haven't caught what I'm saying, is y'all need an Andy in your relationship and y'all need a Christy in your relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, 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 like God desires for you to have good things. But if we're not careful, what we do is we spend everything we earn. And if we're not being careful on the other flip side with a different personality is we save, you know what, in another word, we hoard everything we earn. Thinking that we'll find satisfaction when we have those full barns. Investment is a great example of trust. So I must ask you, where are you investing your finances today? And yes, you can buy your new shoes and you can have your nice new vests and, and some, some really killer glasses that are transitional when you go out into the sun. <laughs> you guys are judging me. <laughs> and you can invest in those things, but are you also investing into the kingdom of God? Are you investing into God's work on this earth to not just be a work within you, but for the world to see? The third to toxic money mindset is this, is I can't give 
yet. The idea is that we all have a threshold of earning that we're trying to achieve. Many of us fall into the trap and really it's, it's totally surrounded by worry and anxiety that we have to hit a threshold of earning before we can become generous. And, and if you don't like those terms, let me say it like this. We have a threshold of security or we have a threshold of saving or how about this? This will relate to somebody in the room. We have a threshold of status. And we've bought into the lie, some of us. I mean, uh, we're preaching to the choir today and none of you relate to this whatsoever. It's this, is we buy into this idea that we can give when we hit a certain threshold. I must tell you, greed is an emptiness and it will motivate you to keep and take. I encourage you not to give but buy into this idea that there's a threshold. And when you reach that threshold, then you will find satisfaction. As the scriptures present, you might have a full barn, but you might be empty in this other area. I've carried the, the, the idea, this philosophy of sort, that, that if you're rich in one area, usually you are poor in another this is the problem with the threshold type of lifestyle. It's feeling that you need to be, achieve a certain level of richness or wealth or possessions before you can actually give. And so you will be rich in one area, but simply poor in the other. The fourth toxic money mindset is this, and I've presented this a few times throughout this series is I earned it and I deserved it and I deserve it. And, and, and it's illustrated, this is simply illustrated with the idea of the man who had the abundant harvest, but God made it very clear. It was the ground, <laughs> the ground in which he buried. And yes, yes, there's a part that we play in this, but, but the bigger narrative of scripture, and we can see it in the Old Testament through the founding father of our faith, Abraham, is that God picked this random, really humble guy and said, I am going to bless you, not because you deserve it or because you earned it, but because I have a particular calling on you to bless somebody else. Abraham is this perfect example of a man who did not earn it, who did not deserve it. In fact, he's screwed up over and over and over, but God never revoked the calling on his life. And that calling was this, is you are gonna be blessed. And because you are blessed, you are called to be a blessing. And I woke up this morning at, at five o'clock and I set up Portable Church with all these amazing volunteers which by the way, we need a few more people in Loden if you wouldn't mind volunteering next week. I came here to church to tell you this one idea. God desires to bless you to be a blessing. But I feel like we are, thank you, thank you. Someone was excited, who was that? That was, thank you. God desires to bless you. And some of you walked into this space and you don't feel like you deserve it. But you don't have to earn it. God desires to bless you. 
God loves you. Doesn't matter if you have some of these toxic mindsets, God loves you. You are his child. He cares and he loves for you, loves you. And he wants to invade the spaces of our heart. And where we've welcomed greed, where worry has captured our attention, where we divide and where we keep and where we take, he wants to come into those spaces and he wants to be your heavenly father. He's your heavenly father that cares for you. He knows what you need. He knows you what you don't need. And he wants to bless you. That's why I came to church today. To tell you this is that God desires to bless you so that you might be a blessing. And my big idea today is this, is the antidote for greed is generosity. You want to overcome that sense of not having enough? of always wanting more, that familiar discontentment within your life of being here, but wanting to be there, then guess what you need to do is you need to buy into the practice of giving and generosity, not because you have a ton, it's because God has given you a little and he wants you to be faithful with it. And it's not because he needs your money, it's because he knows it's good for your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. See, we're called to fight the power. The power of greed and worry and anxiety. And I am so proud, so ridiculously proud of our Echo Hires that raised $9,000 in one night for the kingdom of God. I mean, think about it. Okay? Uh, let me just be really, really, really frank, okay? We don't make nine, we, we, don't, we don't receive $9,000 on a Sunday. Like maybe once or twice a year we do that. But these kids, for the better part of a half year or a year who knew it was coming, and they said, you know what we're gonna do? I'm gonna work for the kingdom of God so that it can invade people's spaces so they can experience the love and the acceptance and the blessing of God. My daughter spent the better part of the summer creating a bunch of bracelets with another friend. And she came down on Wednesday night with a a wad of cash in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> it was kind of scary. <gasps> I said, Zion, how much are you giving? And, and, and so, well, this is what we raised. And I'm not going to tell you that today. And um, it's not really about the mom. But then she goes, she goes but dad, do you, do you think I could go ask mom for the $30 that she owes me? <laughs> she goes, on my green light card, I've got $5. And I don't think they take green light. So do you think I can go interrupt mom? Mom was cutting hair with a client. I said, no, Zion, don't, don't, don't bother mom. And when Zion told me that, how many of you know as a father, that's the type of life and generosity that I want to get behind? 
And so I ran up as fast as I could up to my room where I hide my cash, and I'm not gonna tell you where it is. And I took a large bill out of it, and just before I dropped her off at the Castle Community Center, about 6.45 that night, I pulled her, I said, I said, Zion, I am so proud of you. Give this to You earned it. You've motivated me to be more of a generous person. See, somewhere along the way, I hate to break this to you, adults, we learned to not be generous. We learned to divide. We learned to keep. We learned to take. And I just bring up Echo High because I am just so drastically proud of them. And I think they could teach us a lesson today. What if we could be a church that pushes past our own feelings, our own insecurities, our own financial goals and say, God, regardless, we are going to be generous and faithful to you. In closing, um, Brendan Manning writes this in one of his books. He says, the conversation of most middle-class Americans, we are told, revolves around consumption, what to buy, what was just bought, what to eat, what to eat, uh, what, we, what we're going to eat, the price of the neighbor's house, what's on sale this week, our clothes or someone else's, the best card on the market, the best car on the market uh, this year, where we're gonna spend vacation. Apparently we cannot stop eating, shopping or consuming. Success for many of us is measured not in terms of love and wisdom and maturity, but by the size of one pile, one's pile of possessions. Let me go back to what George has to say. He says, happiness depends more upon the internal frame of a person's own mind than the externals in the world. How many agree with that today? And at the, Bo- at the Boston Holocaust Memorial, this is inscribed, it's written, it's quoted from a survivor. It says, Ilzi, a childhood friend of mine, once found a raspberry in the camp, concentration camp, and carried that raspberry in her pocket all day to present it to me that night in a leaf. And then she said this, imagine a world in which your entire possession is one raspberry and you give it to a friend. Oh God. We have so much. We have been so blessed. And I know I'm preaching to the choir today, but but, but for the few in the room, like me, we've learned to divide. We've learned to keep. We've learned to take. And because of that, our life is duct taped together with two, three words, worry, anxiety, and greed. And today, God, I just pray for this church collectively and yet individually, God, that this would be a day where you start ripping that tape off us. That you bring freedom to us financially, God, that you would bring freedom to us emotionally, God, that you would bring free to freedom to us financially, God, and that, God, we wouldn't live and, 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 and believe into the lie that life is all about the possessions, 
But God, I believe it's about what you possess and whom you possess, and that is us and our heart. And so we ask that you would invade those spaces in our, our hearts and our minds, God, and that you would eradicate greed. You would eliminate anxiety. You would send worry out of our hearts and minds. Whatever we're worried about, financial or not, that you would do a miracle in and through us today. And Lord, as we sing this song, we pray that you would do a work in us. We surrender all.
about the big give and our youth. You know, Echo High doing this incredible thing this week. And I was watching my own kids and I was really proud of how generous they were, like personally as individuals. And I've been thinking about it ever since, but here's what kind of occurred to me is my kids can be generous because they know if something comes up, mom and dad are gonna be there for them, right? I mean, they know like, hey, if I really need gas money, dad's going to come through for me. Or if I, man, if I need money for a school thing, like mom and dad are going to come through. And I think it's interesting that their lack of self-reliance is what allows them to be generous. But what do we do, right? As adults, we're like, well, I did it. I need to do it. I earned it. I got to do this thing and I'm going to hold on so, so tight. And I just want to say how proud I am of our teenagers for living a life of just open hands. Let's give it up for the teenagers one more time. We always look over here because most of the teenagers are over here, but I see you guys right here. There's teenagers all over. Uh, I'm just proud of our church. I'm proud of the things that we do. Now, one of the things we do here at Echo every week is we say a prayer. And the first line of the prayer talks about surrender. And I want to give you an encouragement this week. Maybe the surrender that you're looking for is just living a little more open-handed, not holding on so tight, not living such a protected life, but instead living a generous life. So this week, as we say this prayer, and if this is your first step in a faith journey, this is an opportunity to surrender your life to God completely, but it's also an opportunity to let go a little bit on the finances that are maybe holding on to our hearts so close. So let's say the prayer together. Jesus, I surrender. I have more questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, you died, and you rose again, all with us in mind. I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name and his authority. Amen. Let's celebrate those that said that for the first time today.